Welcome back, Seahawks Nest fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Sean Kemp to my Gary Payton. That's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? Man, I'm great, as long as you're referring to me as Sonic Sean Kemp. Because if you're talking Orlando Magic Sean Kemp, we're going to fight. And we, Cleveland Cavaliers Sean Kemp. And we are joined by the Detlef Shrimp to our pet Kemp and Peyton. That's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? That seemed like the way this is going. I think I'd be more of a, a, a Sam Perkins person. I'm not an oversized small forward. I'm w- definitely undersized for my position. I was uh, I was 50-50 between Big Smooth Sam Perkins and uh, Detlef Shrimp, so it's funny that you say that. Plus, I like to jack up random threes, and that is Sam Perkins also, all day. I also thought about calling you Xavier <laughs> McDaniel, because I know you love to get in fights and play dirty. I'll definitely throw the bows <laughs> if needed. All right, so... The enforcer of the podcast. So, Seahawks fans, we had a... Uh, an interesting week down in Jacksonville. Uh, the Seahawks headed down to Jacksonville and played uh, a really boring first half, a very uh, eventful second half, bare minimum, yeah. uh, and uh, ended up losing the game, 30-24. to 24. And once again, the Seahawks don't escape a week without a, a million important injuries. That's, that's kind of the story to me. Um, Bobby's hurt, likely going to miss the game against the Rams. KJ's hurt and is likely to miss the game against the Rams. Uh, Cam no closer to returning. Sherman gone. Um, it's it's become a battle of attrition for these Seahawks. And yeah, we had depth at the start of the season, and we've used basically all of it up. There's not really any depth, and I think Wagner was the one injury we probably couldn't really afford. Uh, Kevin, how do you, how do you feel about the injuries to our linebacking core? Uh, I feel like the injuries were decisive in this game, honestly. At the end, when the running game was finally picking up, it was when Bobby was off the field. Um, KJ was off the field. KJ has a concussion. Bobby's dealing with a hamstring issue. So KJ might be back. Those concussion protocol things are, um, you don't really know. It's like 50-50. The issue I have with it, the other thing was a couple of the long pass plays that were made were with linebackers in coverage, which is really bothersome about Chris Richard's defense. Um, that happens too often. Sometimes you can get away with it when it's someone like Bobby Wagner or KJ Wright who knows how to be in position. But when it's Alexander or Will Hoyt, that's going to end poorly every oh, single don't time. Don't forget our good friend Terrence Garvin, Kevin. You don't leave him out. No, I'm pretty good leaving him out. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Hawks won't be this week because he's, he's very likely to play at least 50% of snaps. Oh, that hurts. Um, so you played 50% of snaps in this game. Uh, Will Hoyt played seventy one percent. As it's, far it's as ugly. our uh, our depth goes, and you said we're you know we've used our depth up. I don't think we were ever deep at linebacker. We just had it's, studs at linebacker, and now we have and bodies. Yeah, now we, now we have bodies. That's it, and and that's running short. Yeah, um, we well, need Dion Jordan to be back, which they're saying he might be. That would go far in helping with things. He still going to play. Still going to play defensive end. I mean, it's not going to help us get DJ Alexander or. Terrence Garvin off the field. No, but it'll be at least more fresh bodies in the rotation, which should mean improved pass rush, which we will need. Um, so, okay, we've got our defense. Defense is ailing. Um, six starters hurt if you count, if you're willing to count Malik McDowell as a starter, which I am. Um, five if you don't. Five if you think that he's not a starter. You know, I'd argue we could go with seven because right now Deshaun Shedd would be starting at cornerback. And if you watch. I'm going to talk about Maxwell for a quick second. We know when we picked up Maxwell, we were looking for someone who can understand the system. But there's something about Maxwell that's driving me nuts, and that is that he never seems to be in position to make a play on the ball, only in position to make the tackle after the play's already been made. And it's a good tackle, but I am so sick of seeing the completion every single time. Yeah, another weird thing is that um, in this game, they really didn't throw at, at Shaq at all. 
they it only attempted one pass in his direction. Yeah, and, and if they, you look, that's a lot of why Marquise Lee was a little bottled up. Yeah, non-existent really. Them, they really just decided, hey, we're just going to try to pick on on Byron Maxwell because he's old and slow. I don't really can't think of it any other way. Um, yeah, the, somebody named Keelan Cole lit us up. What's a Keelan Cole? <laughs> Man, the, I still I still have no idea who that is. He, that's his 75-yard reception was off of, um, I believe that was the one where we had a linebacker in coverage. All right, well, now it's time for my rant, okay, because we're talking about the Seahawks in coverage. And, you know, I, I, I tried to save it, but I can't. Blake Bortles averaged almost 10 yards in attempt and against the Seahawks and had zero interceptions. That is un- unacceptable on any level. If you plan on beating this Jaguars team, you cannot, under any circumstances, allow Blake Bortles to throw for almost 10 yards an attempt and some people might say like oh we had chances to win at the end of the game or oh we were still in it or oh if Blair Walsh didn't miss that field goal we could have kicked a field goal at fuck all that (laughs) to be honest with you I'm done with that the team gave up 10 yards a pass to Blake Bortles they gave up four yards of rush to Leonard Fournette there was no they gave up almost like eight yards of rush to Chris Ivory Oh, that was on one thirty-four yard run, but yeah, the and point then remains five for fourteen. Like I mean, he was like decent on the other ones. The, for sure. the The problem for me is that there was no phase of the game I felt like, oh yeah, the Seahawks. They just they really dominated that phase of the game. There's just nothing. There's nothing we did better. Jacksonville played better than us. If we won this game, it, we could have won this game. And if we did win, it would have been lucky. It would have been because they were inexperienced, because they are not ready to make the leap. And instead, you know, it's just. We, we lost. We lost. Russell Wilson couldn't power us to victory with a bunch of long throws at the end of the game. So, I don't know. I'm I'm very frustrated with the way the Seahawks played in this game. Two for nine on third downs. Uh, six penalties. Only six penalties, but they were a couple of them were pretty bad. Uh, like, bad timing on those penalties. The three interceptions, which is just, like, you can't, you can't go into someone else's house when they have a defense this good, turn the ball over three times, and expect to win. That's just not a thing. So yeah, I'm, I, I found this game incredibly frustrating to watch, and especially the first half. The first half was w- one of the worst halves of football I've ever watched in my entire life. So, um, like in terms of entertainment value, yeah, it was very boring. The team played very poorly. Uh, I just didn't didn't enjoy it at all. And so, Eric, Eric, sorry, yeah. I had to rant there. No man, do you, do you I, any, I want you to rant. That's, do you have anything to add? Passion is is where it's at for me. I feel like like what you said. We can't let Russ get away with with you know not being culpable for the loss here uh, at least part of it uh, i was really sick of now the end of the game featured three big long passes from russell wilson mm-hmm. uh totaling something absurd like 146 yards well, it was a 61 yard bomb to uh paul richardson a 43 yard bomb to uh doug baldwin and uh, a 74 yard uh pass to tyler lockett for a touchdown yeah so it was 178 yards and three passes all those three and outs we had uh, our number was two for nine on third downs. Uh, a lot of that was Russ forcing the ball downfield. There was a play late in the game, not on our final drive, where McKissick tried to lay a chip block, didn't, immediately went out, could have got five yards to McKissick, and it wasn't a third down, and he just chose to force it downfield. And I understand you got you got to look for those yards, but I feel like in this type of game, if we pick our yards where we can get them, we have a better chance of moving the sticks. And not just on one play. Another thing you say, Eric, you said on three pass attempts, he got 178 yards. That means on the other 28 pass yeah, attempts, yes. he had under 100 yards. Yep. That is that is a 
That is the by any the, measure, that's a horrible performance. That is the Seahawks version of what Kevin just said about Chris Ivory busting loose on one big play, or like, oh well, you know, we actually bottled up Chris Ivory if not for one play. Well, the Jags can say that about Russell Wilson. Yeah, except for a handful of big plays. And if you watch it, it was a pretty smart play by Jacksonville. They knew, you know, Russ likes to take these busted plays and try and throw deep to a receiver. And if they can get loose, you know, it's these massive chunk plays. And that's part of what our offense thrives on. But that's hard to do when you have uh, A.J. Bouye and uh, Jalen Ramsey up back there who are more athletic than any one of our receivers. Those are two athletically gifted corners. Um, and they made plays on the ball that our receivers weren't making. Uh, I think another factor in this is I'm going to go ahead and call out Jimmy Graham. Yeah. That was a very, uh, I said it on Twitter, that was a C-minus performance I'm from real, Jimmy Graham. I'm real happy you did that, Kevin. Uh, I felt like there were a number of times where he sh- uh, short-armed it. Um, you didn't you know, fight for the possession. He was only targeted twice, too. He was only targeted twice, and I didn't see... I didn't think that the I didn't see him getting himself open and I didn't see but I also didn't see the scheming that strong around shutting him down. Maybe there's something I missed. Um but I really feel like this was not his best game and there was a chance that we could have worked that area of the field for a gain and basically the tight ends were out of the game for us. Um, McKissick was targeted quite a few times, had a few short receptions. Uh, I feel like Mike Davis had a very good game. Um, he's questionable with a rib injury for next week, but they think they'll have him again. But I feel like Mike Davis had himself a pretty good game. Here's the thing. You say Mike Davis had a pretty good game, you know, 15 carries for six. You know, he's averaging about four yards a carry. He's decent. But my problem with Mike Davis is, is that what you just said, he got a rib injury. If we try, if he's our main running back that's going to get a ton of carries, he's going to get hurt. He's yep. way too small. He does not have the body to stand up to the pounding of being a full-time NFL running back. And the injury history is very there. Yeah, and we've seen it. We, this is now we've seen it week after week now, where this guy picks up a nagging injury. He's going to miss half a game or whatever. And th- this is just what Mike Davis does. When he and, came on the scene for us uh, a few weeks ago, Kevin said it best. <clears throat> he's a solid change of pace running back. Yeah, he's. He, I love him. I want him to play in long career in the NFL, and it's not going to happen if we keep having to give him the ball twenty times a game. He should be doing what he should be doing what Procise is supposed to do, which is be change of pace, eight to ten runs a game plus two or three pass. You know, a total of about fifteen touches total instead of getting targeted a bunch of times in the passing game, having to block a bunch of times because he's in on almost every down like that stuff. That takes its toll on his body. And yeah, if we had Carson still to split carries with him, so it was McKissick, oh, Carson, and Davis. That'd be great. This is a good backfield rotation. The setback to uh, Carson's injury, that's that's bad news for this team's playoff chances. Yeah, and so let's talk. Let's. Uh, so, is there anything else we need to call out specifically about this game? I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it one more thing. I thought McDougald was really good again, and it ma- it makes me think about the future of the secondary. So let's talk about that for a second. Going into next year, um, we've talked about this once, but has Richard Sherman is Richard Sherman coming back? Do you guys think the Seahawks bring back Sherman to play cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks next year? I think the odds are above fifty percent. Okay, Eric, I think it's likely. I, I say flip a coin. I think it's that close. Um, he's he's expensive. He has very little signing bonus money left on his contract. There's a chance that we trade him or cut him. Um, how about this? 
Would you be, how disappointed would you be on a scale of one to ten if the Seahawks decided to bring back McDougald to play safety as opposed to Cam Chancellor? How disappointed would I be? Yeah, like would you feel bad or would you be like totally fine with it? Three. Yeah, so you wouldn't you wouldn't be that you'd be like that's fine. I think uh, if anything, I'm sitting here going, okay, Chris Richard has not shown me an ability to adapt his plan on defense whatsoever. We would have to change the way that we play defense slightly with McDougald in there. So you say I that, don't think that's a bad thing. You say that. 73% of McDougal's snaps in the last game were played at linebacker, and he had five run stops. That's very Cam Chancellor-esque to me. I mean, that is like, he did what we expect Cam to do in that in that. I think he the fills the role. same role, but he fills it differently. Right. He's not an enforcer. He's right. not scaring he, anyone from going over the middle. He's not a playmaker, but he is a stable force that makes plays. But he can play close to the line. He can, be, he can. He impact the run game, which is what I think our biggest thing about Cam Chancellor is. Eric, okay. I think it sucks that I'm going to say this, but I think the decision is going to be made by Cam. I don't think Cam's coming back. Cam Cam has some big decisions to make with his playing career. He may not be able to play at 100% again. I think that Cam knows that. I mean, that's let me just let me back up. Cam's kind of said that. Um, if that's true, I don't think he's coming back. I think the decision will be made and Bradley McDougal will We'll, we'll slide into that role, and I am fine with that. Emotionally, I'm not fine with that. I love Cam Chancellor. And Cam right. Chancellor did so much for identifying who this franchise is. I mean, think about that for a second. The The Legion of Boom is a real thing, and it's a culpable thing. And we're talking about the the core of it, because sorry, uh, you know, Brandon Browner, you were always, you were always the drummer in the Spinal fourth. Tap. You were always the Ringo. The, yeah, you were always the bassist in whatever rock band that they kept replacing. Um, <laughs> it's serious. It's it's that one guy that is interchangeable. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor. That is the Legion. Yeah. And we have Earl left, and he's amazing to watch. Cherish him while you have him. But this is this is it. Uh, our window is now just a. It's a Green Bay Packers window. We can rise up to the Super Bowl. Any time, but it's not an inevitability or a likely outcome from year to year anymore. Yeah, I mean, the secondary really suffered in this game. Bortles was 7 of 9 on passes that traveled at least 10 yards in the air, which is a pretty uncomfortable stat for me. Yep. Um, but I feel like that's the a lot of the linebackers and Maxwell getting victimized. Yeah, it's the, it's the fact that we're depleted. We're depleted everywhere, and it, it's it's starting to have a big impact on the Seahawks games. Uh, I don't I want to bring up something completely irrelevant and yet completely relevant. Okay. Uh, so Bradley McDougal, where we get him from? Tampa Bay. And what type of signing was it? Be an unrestricted free agent. Can you think of the last time we uh, picked up an unrestricted free agent that kind of bounced around the league a little bit? From Tampa Bay. Oh, good old Michael, Michael Bennett. Bennett. Oh, that'd, be, that'd be Michael Bennett. Man, I, that, that is a pretty good track. That has a pretty good track record. Um, you know, I just want to back up a little bit more what Nathan said. This guy's 6'1", about 210 pounds. He's not a small player. You know, we think about Cam. Cam's exceptional size a for a safety. Bradley McDougald is a good size for a safety. This is someone with a wide receiver's history in college. Um... You know, he bounced around the league a little bit. He was on the practice squad in Kansas City. Um, he was picked up by Tampa Bay. He doesn't have a ton of mileage on the body for a 27-year-old. 
he's a little bit smaller, which means there's a little less wear and tear there. He doesn't have as violent of a play style as Cam. This is somebody who probably has about five years in him of high-level play at safety. So we keep talking about how, you know, you want to have that depth. Depth is what won us a Super Bowl, especially on defense. Had a lot of rotation. Had a lot of fresh bodies. Extra linebacker, an extra extra secondary guy. That's a fact. And wouldn't you rather have Malcolm Smith right now than Michael Wilhoit? And making the move from a guy like Cam getting paid as a primetime player in their prime to a guy like McDougald who could give you nearly the same and possibly the same production. Or just under, right, Kevin? On a much smaller contract. That's the type of savvy move that a good front office makes. The, look at the what the Patriots are doing right now. And I hate to always bring it back to the Patriots, but they are the gold standard for how to run a franchise well, in the NFL. I'm going to pause you there because okay. you, you throw a lot of Patriots love. And we all know my feeling about the Patriots, which is they, I hate them. They're good at cheating. <laughs> I, I hate them. How long have they been at the top of football? Right. And coming up on fifteen years. And name you don't do that by accident. Name three name three players on their defense. It's hard because they have two good cornerbacks. Uh, Donta Hightower, who's I think isn't injured right now. Yes, he's injured. Um uh, well, I think uh You want to say Teddy Bruschi, I Van know you do Kyle Vanoy. Vanoy, who's also injured, I think, right now. Um you know, it's it's that kind of a thing. Is is they, uh is Patrick Chung still there? They, Seems like it. Patrick Chung got hurt last week too, but they they <laughs> they find ways to still remain successful despite the fact that yeah they can't keep everyone they gotta they gotta get rid of a few guys that maybe they didn't want to get rid of but they they find a way to be good anyway and the Seahawks need to start figuring out a way to do that without paying everyone because paying everyone is why we had to cut Dwight Freeney despite the fact that he had four sacks in three weeks. That is incredible production from a defensive end. And what did we do? We said take a hike because we need the money because we have no cap room and we have to. We have we have because to because we're paying Jeremy Lane for nothing. Exactly. Like <laughs> we we've capped ourselves out because we paid everyone. And at some point, we have to let some of these guys go. It's, well, and it was smart sad. to pay everyone at the time. We paid everyone to set up a three-year window. And the window is closed. The window is closing, and we need to make the next set of moves. Yeah. Uh, this is where I I love Averill. But if he can't play, that money is not bad to have back. This is where Michael Bennett, he's going to be running towards the end of a contract. Maybe he gets dealt. Um, if Deion Jordan can step up and we can pay Deion Jordan slightly less to take his spot to play across from Frank Clark, we could pick up another defensive end. We need to start making changes. These marginal moves. They're, they're, they're like marginal moves where you're saying, you know what, if we can get eight tenths, Four, four fifths or nine tenths of the production for one half of the cost. It's time to start doing that because as fun it is, as fun as it is to have like seven elite players on our defense, and God, God willing, we have more that and more, perhaps when everyone's healthy. It's it's just not sustainable, and you're seeing it right now. The team is just falling apart because there's so many injuries, and the offensive line has no investment in it in terms of cash. Now, in draft capital, we sure have invested a lot, and it's all been a bust. We need to invest in an established offensive lineman, uh, which we are doing with Dwayne Brown. Yep. And so now we need to figure out who's going to be who's going to need a new contract. Yep. And that was part of his holdout. And so yeah, we're just going to have to figure all this stuff out. And th- and there's going to be some tough moves this offseason. So I want to hear 
you go to spotrack.com look at the seahawks cap situation going into next year look at who's going into free agency and try to put the puzzle together i'm curious to see what the fans think the seahawks is ne- the seahawks next moves are going to be but i don't want to think too much about next season because we have a big game this week yep and we're gonna be talking about next season for months so yeah so let's this let's, week we got the fight for the division yeah this is it right here if we can win this game we control our own destiny we basically have a one-game lead with two games left and a, not too hard of a schedule. This is basically it. Yep. If we win this game, we're probably going to win the division. If we lose this game, it is likely that we will miss the playoffs, if I'm being completely that honest. That is true and shocking. Atlanta holding that tiebreaker over us yeah, is we, crushing. We really killed, kicked ourselves in the nuts with that one. Like it is it, Looking back, it is a critical loss that is now really, really hurting us. Don't forget about the Redskins, fellas. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're out of the race. Thank I don't think yeah, that, that we're going to lose the that title. Loss still, that, that, is, that was a game that we should have won. But they, At home. You know, it's like a, there were a lot of moments that we could have won the game against the Jaguars, but the tripping on Paul Richardson really stings because you can just point right at that one. You know, uh, if we end up missing the playoffs, yeah, the Washington loss and is like, why we're out, but that green. Atlanta loss... That's an obvious hurt. And our Green Bay loss, like if Green Bay ends up ten and six, and we're tied with them at the if end, they would have counted the touchdown we got from Naz Jones, yeah. Like let's say we we lose this game and we win out and go ten and six. There's tons of teams that hold tiebreakers over us that are that can go ten and six now. Yep, it's very frustrating from a from just like a can we make it perspective. Plus we play at Cowboys in the week Zeke Elliott comes back. We basically need eleven wins. Yeah, like we're. They, they, that's a tough game too. We, we don't have like gimmies on the schedule anymore. And well, the Rams have uh, the remaining schedule after they face us, uh, a game against the Titans, and then our possible saviors will be the 49ers. With and James Garoppolo. James Garoppolo. Yeah, I think we're in trouble if that's what it comes down to. Yeah, right. we have Rams, Cowboys, and Cardinals, and at this point, we just have to consider that we need to win out. So how do you guys feel about this particular game? Uh, let's start with Eric. Eric, what, what are you feeling going into Rams week? Okay, so uh, for those of you that are Patreon subscribers, you will know that I picked the Rams to lose against Seahawks this week. I picked our boys Seahawks to win, and that is because, as frustrating as they can be, we still have a pretty healthy offense, and we're still playing at home. And Russell Wilson, at home, in the division against the Rams, especially coming off the week he had against Jacksonville, I see us putting together a very good offensive game on Sunday. And because of that, I feel like we're going to beat the Rams. I don't like the Rams' offense. I know that they score a lot. I know that their numbers are up. I still don't like him. I still don't trust him. And I don't trust him here at home against us. And I feel like our defense still has some dogs in the fight. Our pass rush is still good. We still have Earl for now. Um, I'm really hoping KJ plays. I'm thinking Deion Jordan will play. I think we have enough to win this game handily, possibly by 13 points. All right, Kevin. What are uh, your thoughts going into Rams? I'd like to uh, I'd like to employ one of my favorite devices here. Um, I'd like to put you all in the Wayback Machine. We're going to go all the way back to a game from earlier this season when the 3-2, and two, or excuse me, at that time, 2-2, two and two, Seattle Seahawks traveled to Los Angeles to play against the 3-1 LA Rams in a game that we were all not feeling super great about. Uh, offense was on the struggle bus. Defense... Offense remained on the struggle bus in that game? <laughs> defense, we weren't really sure what was going on. 
And in this game, an ugly 16-10 Seattle win. They gutted that game out, man. That was a tough win. That was a tough win on the road. Uh, Frank Clark had himself a game in that one. You know, he only had the one sack, but he affected a lot of plays. And in general, our defensive line overmatched the much improved LA Rams offensive line. And I think that that could be really what it comes down to today as well. Or excuse me, this week. I think that as we talked about in the Philly in the Philly game, matchups make games. And if you are the Rams, you don't want to see a defensive line like the Seahawks and you don't want to see a team that can throw deep like the Seahawks can. I think that we're a bad matchup for them. If you look at the way that uh, Philadelphia put points on the board, the types of plays they were making are the types of plays that we can make. And if you look at the way that the pass rush affected them, same story. Now you're flipping it to a game at Seattle with the crowd noise. I will be there. I will be yelling a lot. Everyone (laughs) else will be yelling a lot too. And... I think the matchup favors Seattle here. I don't know if Seattle's the better team, but I think Seattle has an edge. All right. Well, I'm going to get I'm going to say some names of of, of football players and um I'm going to I'm going to let you guys know what they have in common. Richard Sherman, uh, Cam Chancellor, uh KJ Wright, uh, Bobby Wagner. These are all NFL football players that would likely make a Pro Bowl that probably won't appear in this game for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and that's that's a problem for me. Um, Todd Gurley is running the hell out of the ball. The Rams are actually top five in the league in both offensive and defensive DVOA and second in the league in special te- teams DVOA. I think these teams will be more tightly matched than you might anticipate based on just raw talent level. Like Kevin said, the Rams are undoubtedly playing better football this season than the Seahawks. But um, the the home field will close that gap some, and the matchup will close that gap some. The difference for me is the fact that the Seahawks kicker sucks, and Greg Zerline is kicking Jesus. Um, I really <laughs> um, like. There's just nothing. There's nothing more to it than me. Like the the I'm incredibly depressed about saying this, but the Seahawks are are likely going to fall just short. And Blair Walsh in the first game went three for three on field goals, and I won't trust him to go three for three on making the cans into the grocery bag if he was bagging my groceries. Like No, that's the, his hands. He's fine with his hands. Blair, Blair Walsh. It's his feet that can't manage Blair it. Walsh is not good. Uh, he he I, I find him incredibly likely to blow this game. And I do think that if we have, you know, Will Hoyt and uh and Alexander, Alexander or, or Garvin. Will Garvin starting at linebacker there's no doubt in my mind that we're giving up 100 yards rushing. I mean, in the last game the Rams played against the against the Eagles, uh, they uh, Todd Gurley had 13 rushes and got 96 yards, 7.4 yeah. yards a rush, two touchdowns. Like he was incredible, and I don't see any reason he couldn't match that feat or more against our meh <laughs> linebackers that we're gonna throw out there. Um, Russell Wilson's the team leading rusher with 482 yards. I think their defense is overrated. The Rams' defense is totally overrated. Their defense is statistically middling. Kevin, look at the scores that they've given up this year. It's it's fourth in DVOA, but I I don't think that it's it's that good. It's it's good, but not that good. They're 19th against the run. 
Their run stuff percentage is 27th. Yeah, they have... Their adjusted line yards is 21st. They're third against the pass, but they're also playing a last play schedule. Right. I mean, there's 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 pros and cons. I, I just think the Rams are good. They're not... The Rams defense is good, not great. Aaron Donald is awesome. Yep. And he is going to terrorize the center of our, our offensive line. Um, and we'll see if that makes enough difference, right? Russell's pretty good under pressure. Uh, I like the Rams to win a squeaker in this one. I think it'll be like 20, 22 to 20, something like that. Some kind of really close score where the Rams just pull one out. Um, and then and then we'll have to really take a hard look in the mirror next week. If that's the case, if that's what ends up happening, I'm. this might be like a Next week might be a post-mortem. Like might, we might we might have to uh you'll you'll hear the the sounds of depression. I don't think the, I don't think it's a might. I think that's an absolute. It's look at our schedule. Look at the Rams schedule. We've dug this hole for ourselves. It's not like we can't crawl out of it, but this is it. The season rests on this game. If we lose this week, we're 8 and 6. We need to win out against Arizona, which I think we should, and Dallas, which who I'm not so sure about. Dallas is at home. Dallas is Dallas Zeke. is kinda heating up a little bit. Dallas is heating up. They're figuring out how to play without Zeke. We'd have to And then they get Zeke back the week we play them. We'd basically be hoping for a Zeke comes back and the offense forgets how to be itself type right. game. They're kinda rusty. And Sean Lee gets injured. <laughs> which I mean one of those things is real likely, but the well, other one, not so sure. Well, and then we got to count on you know other I mean, if teams you like, losing. If, if you like DVOA as a stat, I mean, they're we're eleventh and they're twelfth. You know, we're one percent apart. Um, so it's not a huge difference between what Dallas is doing and what we're doing. That's the, correct. The biggest difference, the reason they're able to keep up with us, is because we're twentieth special teams ranked. Thanks, Blair Walsh. <laughs> I mean, any anybody, I know people. I kind of get tired of people bitching about the kicking game, but I mean, he really is that. He's really bad. Um, I don't trust him at all. It's very frustrating. There's no way that that guy's the thirty in the top thirty best kick, place kickers on earth. There's yeah. just no effing way. If we don't spend a draft pick or pick up a highly regarded uh, um, undrafted free agent kicker, uh, probably someone from the University of Utah, because apparently if you're really good at kicking the football, you go to the University of Utah. That's a thing, uh, you know. And pick up some kind of a veteran and have them run it out in camp. I'm going to be kind of pissed because this is absolutely not the situation we need to walk in with. Blair Walsh is unreliable, and that is the worst characteristic to have in a kicker. Yeah, and you know that the whole team doesn't trust him at this point, right? Like, it's it hurts the whole the whole team morale is off now. It changes the way you play offense because here's the thing that sucks. If you have someone who doesn't have a leg, then you're going, all right, man, we just got to get it within 40, and this guy's automatic from 20 to 40 yards. No, that's not Blair Walsh. He might hit a 51, and he might doink a 30. Yeah, no kidding. And that is incredibly frustrating, because you can plan around a kicker who just doesn't have a huge leg. You Just like you can build an offense around a quarterback that doesn't have a big arm. Chad Pennington was in this league for a reason, folks. But around someone who's just wildly inaccurate... There's there's no recipe to fix that. And I look at teams like Philadelphia last year. Philadelphia got mad at their kicker, Cody Parkey. Cody Parkey now has a job in Miami. He's a pretty decent kicker. 
the fact is there are a lot of decent kickers. All kickers are journeymen. No kicker outside of uh, what Mason Crosby and uh, Adam Vinatieri. Vinatieri. You know, uh, these guys. You know, there's a handful of elites. Yeah, maybe. And we had maybe one, less maybe. than a handful. Eh, I don't know. Last year's Stephen Hauschka was pretty irritating. Not as irritating as Blair Walsh, but pretty irritating. The bottom line is, I expect the Seahawks to move on and find someone better, uh, but probably not that that Vanderjack, that Vinatieri, that. Uh, Mason Crosby. Never know when awesome. those falls in your lap, though. No, Vinit, man, I wouldn't mind making a run at someone like Vinatieri. The way he was trying to kick in the in the snow, I just that was so crazy to me. I mean, if I was if I were Indy, I'd give him the five hundred thousand dollars signing. I'd give him the five hundred thousand dollars bonus anyway, just for being the only person on your team trying. Yes. All right. So, um, I don't have anything else to say about either of these games. All uh, right. So I guess you made your points pick. So uh, yeah, go we'll ahead. go to our predictions. Hit it, guys. Eric, what kind of game do you see? Like I said before, high scoring, and I said around 13 points. I kind of like to hover between. I feel like the Seahawks are going to squeak out a close one-ish, where the, you know, they win by four. But I'll just stick to my original prediction, and I'll say Seahawks 37, Rams 29. It will be just out of reach for your uh, not St. Louis Rams. Kevin. I think that uh, the Rams will come out and score on the opening drive as Seattle's defense tries to make adjustments. I think Seattle's offense will take a little while to heat up and score most of their points in the second half. These are not hard to predict. These are likely to be true. I think that KJ is likely to play. I don't think we're going to be without both linebackers. And I think we'll have just enough in the tank that we'll be able to keep pace with the scoring. And this is going to turn on some big plays. And I think at home, we're going to get them. I'm looking at 32 to 23 Seattle. All right. And I just want to say, if you think that like injuries aren't what's ruining our season, I mean, we have 12 guys in the IR compared to their four. So it's just... It, and read the list because it's a bad. It list. is what it is because like a bunch of our good players have gotten hurt. You know, it's just it sucks, and that's not including Chancellor, who's just out, not on the IR. Um, he's out for the rest of the season, though. That is not. I don't know why they haven't put him on IR yet. Oh, it's because they don't have any money to sign anyone. Oh, that's why. Okay, so <laughs> enough of that. I'm done. Yep. Um, so let's go to the money zone. I, uh, if you want to support our podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks nest. That's where you can give us some money. Also where you could send me messages telling me why I don't know anything, uh, or comment on our NFL picks where we pick every game. We release a, a short podcast every week, about 20 minutes where we pick every single game, uh, and just kind of goof around. Uh, I mean, we goof around in this podcast too. Let's be real. <laughs> so, so, um, it's but been, hey, a, you keep listening. So you must like it. It's been a somber attitude today. And so I'm going to try to pep it up a little bit because it, man, it's just, it's it, that last loss kind of put me in a, a bad place. That was an ugly game lost in an ugly way. And the team looked unraveled. Yeah. And I, it kind of unraveled. I unraveled along with the team. But at the end of that game, when I saw the, the, the clips of the fights, and every stuff, single just, one of us was Quentin Jefferson. I was falling apart. And I, I'll be honest, man, when you're trying to do that stuff at the end of the game, when they're taking a knee, that's Bush league trash, man. You can't, 
I guess I don't want to rant on it because I just don't want to deal with it. But that stuff's stupid. I understand the frustration when you have fans throwing stuff at you and some of the other things going on. It was a chippy game the whole time. But Seattle should be above that. Yeah, exactly. We're we've, we're Super Bowl champions. Like that's all you got to do is point to the ring. You know, like I I kind of know. Sometimes like I, Mr. Pink would say. I thought we were professionals. Yeah, I thought we were professionals is right. All right, and so enough of that. That was the mini. You got a mini rant in the money zone. How about that? People who turn it off when I say, let's go to the money zone, they're going to be like, oh, I missed that mini rant. It's like when you leave the theater and then Sam Jackson comes out. And, and asks them to join the Avengers. So, okay. By the way, if you ever want to entertain yourself, just insert that scene into whatever movie you're watching. Yeah, so a lot of times my wife, when we go see a movie, and it obviously is a movie that doesn't have an after credit scene. For example, Lady Bird. We went and saw Lady Bird, and my wife said, do you think this has an after credit scene? And I said, yeah. At the end of the credits, Samuel L. Jackson's going to come out and ask Lady Bird to join the Avengers. She has she, a superhero name. And I've probably done that for, like, every movie we've seen <laughs> for the last, I don't know, two years. And she every time she gets mad, to the point where sometimes she doesn't – most times she doesn't ask me now. When, when she does, she knows what I'm going to say as soon as she asks, and she gets mad. She's <laughs> like Before I'm even before the words are even out of her mouth, she's like, oh, I, uh, she's like – Really, really mad. It's got that buyer's remorse uh, on it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that movie wasn't for you, Nathan. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, all right, so if you want to support us non-monetarily, head over to facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest and give us a follow on Facebook or give us a five-star review on iTunes or go to twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest or go to reddit.com slash r slash Seahawks and tell everyone that this is your favorite podcast. All of those things make me happy. Um, and you know what? One other thing that makes me happy is one of my best friends has his birthday. So, Kevin... You're hitting the big 3-1 tomorrow, correct? That's correct. All right. So tomorrow is your 31st birthday. Uh, you're joining me on the, uh, the, the, in the in the 3-1 category. Yeah, I, got, I had you scouting ahead. So, uh, yeah. You it let was, me know for the last month and it's five days. Same. How it is. <laughs> uh, so, what, uh, Kevin, for you, I thought it'd be fun. I put you on the spot like, uh, like I always do on your guys' birthdays and uh, have you tell us what movie or I'm going to give you an option. You can just tell me a genre and I will pick the movie. So you can either pick you can pick genre or you can just straight up pick the movie. I'm I'm down with either. And I'm gonna filibuster here for thirty seconds to give you time to think. Okay. You know, actually. Oh, he's ready. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I was actually hoping you'd forget because I was gonna go the rock on you in the middle of your introduction and take it over. Oh yeah, no, I didn't but, I never forget. But, but you remember I bought you a present. Yeah. Uh, and gave it to me a week early because you didn't want to forget. Yeah, I didn't want to forget. Uh, <laughs> by the way, the the present movie I bought Kevin is a movie I highly recommend: The Five Deadly Venoms. Uh, a Chang Chi film. Kung Fu fans, that 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 movie's coming to the movie club soon because that movie is it's so great. And uh, we're all gonna watch it at some point yeah, next week. Probably. I, I love it. I'm I brought it into. I'm trying to bring it into Kevin and Eric's life so they can they can join me on the I love Five Deadly Venoms train. All right, Kevin, what's this, your movie? Uh, so I want to go with something. You know, when it is the holiday season i think family films you know this is a this is a fun time uh pixar always has something to show around uh-huh. this time oh yeah they always have like a thanksgiving release they always, they always have a thanksgiving release and uh i want to go with an animated film i want to go with an animated film that i know that all of us like um we have ranked animated films this has come up but i don't believe that we have talked exclusively about this on movie club okay hmm. i'm ready and so uh i would like to bring what i consider to be the most underrated and heartful of pixar films 
Ratatouille. Okay, we're gonna, gonna go. We can just go deep on Ratatouille as opposed to me just saying it's my favorite Pixar movie. Yeah, I want to go deep on it because I think this movie deserves it. Whenever people mention it, they mention their Finding Nemo's really good movie. They mention The Incredibles, best Fantastic Four movie ever made. They mention Cars, Cars, because the Cars is the worst. Of the major Pixar movies. Because the cars don't have hands. Because <laughs> the cars don't have But hands. they have wheels that kind of emote like hands. That and they had Tomator, which that's that's not good. Ding, dang, dong, bang, ding, dang, dong, that's, Kevin. That's, that's really, that's really low-browing it from the, from the folks that bought you Toy Story, which... For those of you from the Laserdisc and early high-res TV world, <laughs> when you were trying to see how good your TV was, you put Toy Story in because it was the best-looking movie that existed. And all these movies get such high praise and deserved high praise. Up, all of them. Wally, slightly underrated. But Ratatouille has so much heart. This is the tale of an individual who goes out in pursuit of their dream. And despite the odds being stacked against them, they find a way to make it happen. All right, let me let me start with this, Kevin. Can I start with this? Go for it. The, can I start us off? Patton Oswalt as Remy the mouse in the main character starring role of this movie is legitimately like some of the best voice work I, by a by a person who's not a voice actor, he emotes really well, and I think it's from his stand up career. Yeah, because a lot of times what happens in these Pixar movies or these mainstream movies is they they pick up a couple mainstream stars or, and they they put them in these roles, and then they they aren't voice actors, so they're they're good, but they're not great. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm gonna give an example from a current movie: John Cena as Ferdinand the Bull. It'll probably be all right, but it won't be great because he's not a professional voice actor. It could be really good. He could surprise me, but that's my prediction. Okay, Patton Oswalt as Remy did as good a job as you as I think you could possibly do in that situation. He was fantastic as Remy, the the rat with the heightened sense of smell, uh, in in this movie. Uh, Eric, yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you what's your first thought about this movie? Uh, first thought, and I always you know I go back to <laughs> anytime I see this movie, I think of you, Nathan, because I know how much you love it. And I remember I asked you, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I bought this movie uh, on Blu-ray, and I love it too, but why, why do you love it so much? And you're like, because it's just, anybody can cook. And it's just a real like simple... You mean anybody can cook. <laughs> uh, one thing that I, I really find interesting about this movie, though, two main characters. You have Remy the Rat, and you have Chef Linguini. Um, you may not think of Chef Linguini as a main character. Uh, he is quite supporting, but the movie revolves around him as much as it does Remy. Yeah, and then Linguini is a good example of this. They used a like just a voice actor for Linguini, Lou Romano, who's just he's a straight up voice actor. That's all he does. He's a yeah. you've, you've, he does. You've heard him on any cartoon that you've had to watch while babysitting, or if you secretly watch cartoons like me. Yeah, he's in he's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Pixar movies. Uh, He's done it. He's just done a lot of a lot of stuff. He's also done like um, like art direction and visual development and stuff like that. Like he's he's kind of just a he's a production artist and he did the voice for Linguini. Yep. Well, I I feel I I've read that they've na- they've kind of nailed the kitchen in a in a in a restaurant like with all the different characters they had in the kitchen. Another thing is Pixar attempted yes. this this uh, kind of ensemble cast before when they did a Bug's Life. There wasn't a lot of a star power behind that. The main character also was, underrated. Yeah, it is, but it's that star power came from like one of the guys from Kids in the Hall. Julia Louis Dreyfus was in that. Um, 
Dennis Leary, I think, was like, you know, those are your your hot actors. And so this one, you know, it, it kind of said like, well, maybe Pixar's success, you know, they have these good movies, but the success is behind the star power movies. And this movie got a lot of good reception. A lot of people love this movie. It's on TV quite a bit. It's on the pay channels. People love this movie. It's not forgotten. That's what I think is really important because it does have a good message. It's got great acting. And it's got little great animation moments. You know, anytime, uh, you know, they do the flavor explosions. Yes. The, di- the different settings from the streets of Paris walking with uh, Chef Linguini to, uh, you know, the gutters of Paris with the rats, to the sewers of Paris, to buy the water, to inside the kitchen, to inside the dining hall. The countryside the, at the, the beginning. The countryside at the beginning where uh, they, they wrap that up at the end. Uh, if you didn't know, ratatouille is a peasant meal. Uh, to make ratatouille, it is very affordable. You're looking at squash, you're looking at eggplant, you're looking at tomatoes and spices, the end. And uh, this, this movie uh, made me want to kick... Uh, uh, ratatouille and it's one of my it's easily my favorite vegetarian thing that i make so eric one thing too is you said the movie looks really good when he when they bring out the plate of the dish at the end it the the yeah. animation is so dope on that yes. on that you dish. Can, how soft the vegetables are yeah. but not but not mushy yeah, yeah. and it's, you could just you can just kind of <laughs> see it and what so and you said exactly another thing another thing you said too is the kitchen Stuff is really perfect. That's because Brad Bird, the executive producer of this movie, uh, Thomas Keller, let him um, let him intern in the famous French Laundry kitchen for two days uh, to figure out how a kitchen works and make it like an actual kitchen and gave him the dish that they made at the end of the movie. That's like a Thomas Keller dish that wow. they that they brought. Oh, that's out. cool. Yeah. So that's like a that's another like a production note fun thing for you guys. Yeah. I, I always I, try to give a few of those. So that's cool. That's a really interesting yeah. thing. I did not know that at the end of, of uh, that. I didn't know that Thomas Keller stuff. That's awesome. Uh, I'd like to piggyback on a few of your guys' comments. So let's talk about the voices a little bit. There's some really cool voices in this movie. Uh, Brian Dennehy. Oh, that's right. He uh, plays the dad of Peter the O'Toole. Papa, Papa Mouse. Uh, if I don't like it, I spit it out. Uh, Brad Garrett plays Gusto. <laughs> which that's a voice that you recognize but it's not a huge voice janine garofalo as colette garofalo which uh, will arnett's uh, no, like, will arnett's like the thinking. jerky chef right will like arnett that. plays the jerk yeah. which is another uh, it's another one of those things where like these are good voices they're not huge names i think that's an interesting cast um and in general i think that both of you guys captured the biggest thing with this movie that the art is very cool. Every setting has a feel. Um, you're talking about things that you can relate to. And that cobblestone, food, these really tangible things. The way that the way the hair looks too when he's like pulling the hair and figuring out how that he can like yes. control Linguini <laughs> by pulling his hair. Like that stuff is so funny. Well, and like uh, the way when he's cooking the eggs in the apartment. Uh-huh. And making the omelet and uh, some of those scenes, like this movie has a montage. There's a cooking montage in this movie. There's more than one cooking montage in this movie. That's a great little callback. And it's cheesy, but it doesn't feel cheesy. It feels right in the moment. There's some cool storytelling techniques. I just think this is a a well-crafted package that is so smooth in how it's pulled off 
that it's almost taken for granted. It's like to bring this back to football. When you have someone, they talk about being a long strider. They eat up the field. It doesn't seem like they're that fast because it doesn't look like they're moving that fast. But next thing you know, they're like way down the field. This movie, it doesn't seem like there's no one part of it where you're isolating it going, man, this is the best thing I've ever seen. But when you take the package as a whole, I mean, this is an eight. This is easily an eight. This is a very good movie. All right. So you want, I'm going to, I'm going to start a new thing. Are you ready? Yep. So I'm going to find what I think is the funniest negative review for the movie we're talking about on Rotten Tomatoes and just read the blurb for it. Okay. So, um, we're gonna we're gonna we're, I'm gonna I might read two. This has okay? the power to make us angry, perhaps. Margaret Pomeran says, "It's not my favorite Pixar film." <laughs> well, that's that's fully three, a reason three, to hate three, something. Three out of five. Yeah, I mean, if if I don't think that it's as good as some of the other best animated films ever, that's a good reason to knock it. But Kevin, the one that I really wanted wanted to read for you, you ready? Yep. Beyond the stunning animation, they finally got hair right. There's little to recommend besides the fact that it's a touch better. Than Shrek the Third. <laughs> That's <brutal>. wow! <laughs> Not only are they right, but it's also insult by just saying it's a touch better. Two and a half out of five. All right. Um. So, um. I think that maybe people just, these people are just uh, the worst. All right. It's not for them. It's not Armin. At least they aren't Armin White. So, for <laughs> for uh, Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, uh, is there anything you guys want to say before we go? We have a we have a ton of extra time. Yeah, I want to say happy birthday to me. Yeah, happy right. birthday, Kevin. <laughs> All right. So that's that's it. We'll uh we'll see you next week. Go Hawks. Good times, bro.